So I have a very, very important question to ask. What does I'll make an offer you can't refuse? Behind every fortune there's a crime. Finance is a gun. Politics is knowing when to pull the trigger. And leave the gun. Take the cannolis. Have in common. What do these four quotes have in common? You might be thinking, Emma, are we back to the damn talking cat that we talked about last episode? No, we're not. We're talking about The Godfather. Hands down, in my opinion, best movie to ever grace us. Not the best book. Not gonna lie. But fantastic movie. And so, many people don't know is The Godfather, although it's fiction, is based on the five families and the actual events that happened there. And so it's loosely based on true events, I guess. Allegedly. I'll say allegedly in case somehow someone is listening. Hi guys. My name's Emma. I've watched all of the movies. Love that you guys got Frank Sinatra record label. Loved it. Appreciated it. So it centers around the Corleone family, which is one of the five families in New York City. You might be thinking, wow, that sounds familiar. I know. We'll get into that later. And in the novel, a drug dealer says that he has a ton of supplies in the homeland, a.k.a. Sicily. So yeah, we got the homeland and the motherland. The motherland's Russia, though. That's that's what's mentioned in all the Russian novels. We're talking about Italy, Italy now. So when they say homeland, they're talking primarily about Sicily because the mafia was originally a Sicilian. And the Sicilians have a very interesting and unique culture compared to the rest of Italy because it's mixed with a lot of other cultures in the Mediterranean. And the tensions are a high between the five families and this causes it to increase exponentially. Sonny, who can be an idiot sometimes, during the meeting accidentally pipes up, well, accidentally, and I say that in quotation marks, <laughs> pipes up and says that he would be interested in doing the drug deals even though his father and the leader, Vito, says no. So guess what happens? Sonny accidentally just caused his father to have a hit put out on him because everyone's like, well, if Vito dies, Maybe Sonny will inherit this and then we can make business. Joke's on that. Uh, Vito survives. But Michael, not Sonny, and especially not Fredo, is taking over. And he starts to become more involved. But not fully involved. He takes his, dips his toes in a little bit to try to figure out if he wants to do it. Because he will not take a stand with his... Well, he won't let this stand that someone attempted a hit on his father. Michael ends up killing a cop because he was very involved with his father's murder attempt. And then they sent him to Sicily. Like, Michael, we need to just get you out of here. Sonny takes over and he sucks at it. He's really bad. And he gets killed. So Vito, with his health back, he starts to take power over, but he does not declare war on the other families. And he says he will not take revenge on Sonny's murder if Michael is allowed to come back. Can you tell who the favorite son is? Am I right? I mean, like, not say, especially being Michael is, I think, the youngest. I think it's Sonny, then Fredo, then Michael. 
usually especially in this kind of regime because it, it's very um old-fashioned traditional patriarchal establishment the mafia the oldest son is supposed to inherit things that's why people thought sonny was going to take over the mob so when michael is all of a sudden in power everyone's just like whoa what you doing here bud <laughs> and little did know michael is going to be worse than everyone else not in a bad way well not in a bad way compared to them but in a way i guess that's good for the mob bad for that he's a he's going to excel at his new career i guess that's the way i should phrase this but in sicily he marries a woman her name is apollonia he works hard to gain the respect and approval of his family he separates himself from the family in America. He's like, I am not like them. Go marry your daughter. And then she's killed. The car explodes. And Michael is single now. And he returns to New York. Because he's like, well, I got a father that had an attempt on him. I got a dead brother. Fredo's an idiot. And my wife died because there was an attempt on my life. So poor Michael. I mean, man cannot get away from it. So when Mike returns, he starts to run everything passively and he still wants little to do with the business. He wants to get out of it. And we'll talk more about that later. He tries to make things legit in business rather than criminal one. I mean, he works to do legal gambling, which is very big in this time period. This is right after World War II. So he works to legalize gambling within the family and going into that route, especially in Vegas, rather than other aspects of the criminal world that they find themselves in. So he's trying to mix that old school Sicilian world he's in with the mob and this new American businessman life. Because he even says that his kids will have a normal life in general society. That is what he says, and he says it multiple times in the book, that he wants his kids to be in general society. Then, later, Vito dies of a heart attack, and Michael's left with no choice. He is the head of the family now. And he needs to put the family first. And he's, he pretty much declares war, and the rest of the story is Michael taking on the heads of the other four families, and smart ones, the big wigs in Vegas, dirty cops, politicians, and he becomes the head of the most powerful crime family in New York City. I mean, like, he is in charge now, and everyone knows it. And so, Michael Corleone is our main character. We follow him around and his slow corruption into this world that he didn't want to be a part of. Many people think Michael wanted to be a part of it. He did not after he was a highly decorated war veteran, and he wanted to get out of it. He did not want to be a part of it at all. He was very very distant from it and it wasn't until his father had the hit placed on him and his brother died and later his father died he realized i need to get involved he he approaches i guess the best way i can describe it he approaches it very much like the royal family does this is just a job for him this isn't a lifestyle he chose this is this is him running the family business i guess for lack of better terms or if you trying to parallel it to something it's 
him running the family business pretty much like he feels that this is his job and I think it's easier to say he's the main character. The, mov the movie primarily follows him and the book follows him and Vito. The book actually has the first film and Vito's backstory that's found in the second film in the first. And then the third one will just... We can acknowledge it. We're just not going to talk about it. You get what I mean? The book does jump around more and more from character to character which I've grown to like as a reader and a writer, but I think after watching the movie so many times, I kind of expected it to follow Michael more than it did. And so I think that's maybe where, because this was one of the few times I had seen the movie, actually multiple times before I read the book or even knew it was based on a book. I learned it was based on a book a couple years ago and then I just never got around to it. I was like, oh, maybe I'll finally do it. I guess now is when you really get to hear my New York accent come out. Because now, go through the original five families that the five, that the Godfather is based on. So the five families and the Godfather are based off of the five families that actually happened in New York. And it's quite funny because I live in Nashville now. And so many people tell me I have a funny accent down here. I'm just like, no. I do not have a funny accent. You all have a funny accent. I don't know, can you guys like really hear it? I don't think I can hear it that much, especially on the microphone. Because I edit the audio a lot and the pitch. But, I'm told down here I have a funny accent. So, I guess maybe you'll hear it more as I talk about the New York families. But the five families the novels are meant to represent is the Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and the Lucese family. I know more about the last four than the first one. I didn't even know what the first one was, but I could name the other four. And they were the five families that controlled the New York City crime unit, and in their hands were many markets in the in New York. I mean, the waste management, construction, electrician, supermarkets, all that stuff. Those are the stereotypical ones. But then they got to gambling, the media, entertainment, and a bunch of other things. So the original leader of the five families was Charles Luciano, or Luck Luciano, was the organizer, and he was considered the bosses of bosses, but he preferred the name chairman. He was a man of the people, as he would say. So Luck Luciano founded them all. So you have Tommaso Gagliano founded the Lucese, Joseph Profeci founded the Colombo, Salvatore, Marizano founded the Bonanno, and Vincent Magano <laughs> founded the Gambino family. Do I sound like I'm from New York yet, guys? And the title given to all of them was La Cosa Nostra, which is our thing. And that was what the Sicilians called it. And Sicil Sicily had a long history of being invaded by outside nations and discarded by the rest of Italy to the point where Sicilians don't consider themselves Italian but rather Sicilians because of this. If you look into Sicilian history, they were invaded by the Greeks. They were invaded by the Arab empires. They were invaded by Spain. They were invaded by other Italians. They were invaded by North Africans. They were a little bit picked on a lot and Italy never really respected them as a country so when they were all united Sicily was kind of like whoa well what have you done for us 
And even to the point where there were some Sicilians that didn't really know like Mussolini was elected. Like they didn't even get the ballots for it. Like Sicily was just so disregarded by the rest of Italy. So the the well not the country, the island was in very poor shape and a lot of them left to go to America and they relied on one another for opportunities and perfection and uh, protection. It was very much a tight knit you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of thing because many of them were deemed poor and uneducated. Many of them didn't speak English. And when they did speak Italian, I could tell the dialect was different than more quote-unquote proper Italian that was seen in uh, Venice and Florence and Rome. So even in Italy, they were deemed lower than other Italians. So Sicilians really relied on one another. And especially when... A lot of them came to New York. They were exploited by businessmen in America. And so they relied on one another to get into places and to be respected. And that somehow started to form and culminate over the years. And the mafia actually started to educate and connect men with poor Sicilian immigrants trying to find jobs or housing or kids needing food or finding a church. It almost started like a LinkedIn in its early years, trying to connect people with what they needed. And then, of course, money and power got involved, and then it escalated from there. And that's where now we get the mob as we know it today. And they did have rules, which I find very interesting. It was not a guerrilla warfare type of thing. And when it did become guerrilla warfare... All of the families say that was one of their most shameful time. Very interesting. You can look up so many documentaries about them, especially about Luc Luciano and, Luc Lu and his involvement with World War II and actually how many of these mobs helped Americans get into Sicily. And then from Sicily, they invaded uh, fascists and Mussolini's Italy, and then they moved upwards into Europe through there. It's, it's very interesting how the mobs were there and they knew that they were there and they kind of ignored them until they needed something from them and then if the mobs didn't give them what they wanted then of course they got punished but they gave them what they wanted they were allowed to go on business as usual which i guess is how a lot of things happen but when the five families were formed they were each giving uh territories then they for the most part agreed to stay at each other's territories because they learned that doing that was easier than fighting because fighting and quote-unquote wars as they would call it would lead to a lot of time, death and money that they did not want to deal with. Um, they took part in bootlegging, prostitution, gambling, racketeering, money laundering, and then some got into drug trading. Others had very strict rules about not getting into drug trading. But the most important rule was silence and you keep everything to yourself. So if someone asks you, where was your friend so-and-so the other night? Especially if a cop asks you, hey, where was so-and-so the other night? I don't know. I don't even know who you're talking about. Oh, well, I heard you guys are neighbors. No, I don't have any neighbors. Very much like that. They were very, 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 we protect our own. We do not let outsiders in. And they were going, they took a, an oath of silence. And there's a, a Morgan Freeman quote that um, I once saw on a uh, Goodfellas video. And, uh, I think it applied to the mob as whole because you were no snitch. You, they, 
They did not take well to snitches and to rats. And the Morgan Freeman line says, a snitch is someone minding other folks' business to find information they can sell for a price or trade for some other form of compensation. A rat is a trader, a conceiver, planner, or physical participator. He doesn't sell secrets for power or cash. He betrays the trust of his team or his family, hoping to save his own cowardly ass. The difference is, at least, a snitch is human, but a rat is a fucking rat, period. And I think that's very much the rule that the mob had in this time. And you even, when reading the book and talking about it in, and seeing in the movie, they took silence very seriously. You were not a snitch, you were not a rat. You were not going to use this information against the family to better yourself. And you were not going to betray your family. You see that with uh, Michael, with Fredo, when he knows he uh, kisses Fredo on the cheek. And he's like, I know it was you that betrayed me. And you hurt the family. And that was, that, was, that was a rule. You did not break those rules. And they had a hierarchy. It's very interesting how these things worked. So you had the capo familia, which was the head of the family. The consigliere, which was his right-hand man. The, so, the soto capo is the underboss. They gave him like a vice president. That if the head of the family died, he came in. Then there was captains or just normal capos who were in charge of groups of soldiers, and soldiers were the lowest ranking members that were made men. And when you became a man, man, you could also be called an umanidore, which translates to men of honor. And that means you were officially part of the mafia, and you had to be Italian or Italian descent to be one. You used to have to be Sicilian, fully Sicilian, or at least Sicilian on your father's side. But then they moved to all of Italy especially after World War II, that's when it really started to change that all Italians could join. And to become a main man, you had to get sponsored by someone inside. And so some people, especially me, I got confused at first because you got Tom Hagen, who's a main man. Technically, he shouldn't be. But because, and because he's of Irish-German descent, but Vito actually made him his consigliere, which I... My, like, eight years of Italian is really, like, dying right now with how I cannot pronounce that. But I also can't pronounce spoon in Italian, so, I mean, there's some words you just can't get. Um, Vito actually paid for Tom to go to law school, and to pay him back, Tom worked for Vito. And Vito treated everyone with respect. He had this rule that you treat everyone with respect until they disrespect you. And Vito breaks the rule and makes Tom a consigliere. They have an Irish-German guy, the right-hand man of the Sicilian mob. That's crazy. Like, that was unheard of. Tom is breaking the barriers. Look at him go. I find him underrated. So I'm, I'm glad he was in the book more because in the movie, he's, he has a job, then Michael fires him, then Michael tests him, then he comes back. And poor Tom. He just wanted to help you. And then the lowest ranking is associates which are not direct members and you don't have to be Sicilian. That's why technically Tom should have stopped at being an associate. He should not have gone as high as he is if we're following the rules. But I guess when you're Vito and you make the rules, you can make whatever rule you want. And associates were not direct members of the mafia, but they do work and get benefits from them. So dirty cops, dirty stockbrokers, corrupt politicians, those were the kind of people that were deemed associates to the mob. 
they were indirectly involved. So now let's get on to our man, Michael. And like I said, Michael did not want to be involved. He had went to college, he was a decorated war veteran, and he wanted to live a quote-unquote straight-laced life. And like I said earlier, Michael was also the youngest, but you know, kind of preferred him over the others because he was very much like Vito. How he acted, how he thought of things, all this, all the ways he approached life was very similar to Vito. And I think that is why Vito wanted him to take over the family eventually. Michael in the beginning eh, embraces what he considers the American way of life. And he wants to be this average American. He doesn't want to be part of this quote-unquote old world that he came from. And I keep saying all this stuff because that is the word he uses to describe it. Michael saw what the mob had done to Sicily and he doesn't want that coming to America and ruining because he loves his country and he wants to raise his kids there. He does not want to raise his kids in ruins because the Sicilian mob ruined their island and then came and tried to ruin this island. And Michael is very adamant about that and he says it multiple times. And that's also why when he becomes the head of it, he tries to keep everyone with like out of arm's reach. He tries to keep them out of it. But after the death of his wife and his brother, Michael says to Vito that, well actually has someone send a letter to Vito that says that Michael's ready to be his son and he wants to get involved in the family business way of life. And this to me really marks the shift in him. But I also think this is where Michael's hurting the most. His father was attacked. He just killed people to defend his family. He ran away to Sicily, saw the destruction of what had happened in his home. Well, not his family's home. And it's pretty much a shell of the island that was ruined. And now his wife died on a hit that was meant for him. What man wouldn't be angry? He's at his lowest, I think, in this moment. So I don't blame him for making this drastic 180 switch. If anything, I would have been shocked if he didn't. I'd be like, Michael, what are you doing? Why are you not angry? And when he's in charge, he keeps his family very distant from him because he is becoming darker and more corrupted by the criminal life, but he doesn't want his family involved with that. Again, he wanted his family to be the quote-unquote average Americans and take part in what he deemed general society. He didn't want them being this. He tries so hard to replace his father, but he isn't his father. He tries to direct people in the way he feels is right, but he doesn't have the fatherly, fatherly love and care that Vito has. Because at the end of the day, Vito deeply cared about his kids, but Michael doesn't have that relationship with them. He's their brother. Vito was their father. So he doesn't have that fatherly love to protect them. He has that brotherly love of get away from me so you can be protected. Vito wanted to keep everyone close to protect them. Michael wants to push everyone away to protect them. That's fundamentally the differences between them. And why I think Vito died a happy man and Michael doesn't. And on top of this, he isolates himself from everyone and he causes a burn he can't handle on his own. He assassination attempts on him, which can't help the physical mental health and so he retaliates with um killings and assassinations and the story then does, does follow michael killing the other four heads of the families but michael is forced into this life i think and i don't want to say that there's a lot of gray air because i don't want people thinking i'm defending what he did or romanticizing the life but i go back to he didn't want this and he was kind of forced or coerced into this when he was really hurting. 
I mean, imagine you lost your brother, your father had an assassination attempt on him, your wife died, you're in a country that is a shell of what you thought it was, your family's all in America, you can't go back there yet until you get permission. He's going through a lot when he makes this decision to be part of the family. And I don't blame him for getting involved, but you can blame him for what he does. I guess, again, there's this gray area, but I also think this is the definition of nature versus nurture. He grew up in this life. Does he know anything different? And did he really think he could get away with it when he didn't know how to live a quote-unquote straight-laced average life in general society like he wanted? Because all he knew about was what his family had. And he falls victim to this burden he's put on his shoulders. And if anything, he sets himself up for failure while trying to set his family up for success. So you might be thinking, what's the difference between the book and the movies? The movie is actually pretty faithful because Puzo wrote the novel and the screenplay. So he got a second chance to fix a mistake. We follow Michael more. He cuts down on excessive stories and characters that are needed. He divides some of the stories between the two movies. In the first one, we primarily follow Michael, and then in the second one, we get Vito's backstory. And Puzio said he had no desire to write the film. But there's fundamental differences between prose and screenplays, which caused him to. The adaptation was done well because he did it. And in the novel, there's a critique on different institutions. They critique politics, they critique the Catholic Church, they critique Hollywood, because the mafia ran very deep into this. There's actually a scene where Vito acts like a priest giving someone their last rites, and the dying man asks to save him from going to hell. That's something that's reserved for a priest to do. And someone asked Vito to do it. And then there's also Johnny Fontaine, who the book references him so much, and I do not care about him at all. I'm sorry. And I know he was meant to be a critique on the mafia getting people into Hollywood, especially Frank Sinatra. But do not come after my man, Frank. Do not, because I care. Lava Frank, I like I've seen his movies. I have his records. I have his freaking vinyl record next to me, actually. I don't care about Johnny Fontaine, and I just kept going back to him so much. I'm like, I don't care about what Johnny Fontaine is doing in Hollywood. What is my man Michael doing? That is what I care about. And honestly, this book really rose the popularity of the mob genre. I mean, it's the godfather. Everyone knows it. I mean, it's been parodied. Even if you haven't seen the movie, odds are you knew the quotes I said at the beginning, especially I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. It's actually a pizza place near my in my house called Calabria up in New York and they actually have a, have a I, I, I once posted on, on my Instagram story and they have a, a painting of Vito Corleone it says I'll make you a pizza you can't refuse it makes me laugh every time I love it and so what is my opinion I think the movie's better I do I really think the movie's better I found uh, problems with the pacing characters and the story it was very slow in in the novel i mean we, we all have we've uh, every book can be shorter everything can be short but i found that there were so many details and so many exposition that i did not need it and as a writer it's important to know what moves the story forward and to cut out everything else i don't think puzio did there's so many expositions on people that were not important and even the people that were had that like yeah they could be important to the plot but i don't need their whole backstory so i think the movie fixed the pacing and the character development really narrowed out what is the message, what do we want to say, what's the story we want to tell. Because like, 
there were times like they'd be passing by like an elf like a like a lift operator i get his whole backstory i'm like did i need to know his whole backstory no and there was three pages i'm never gonna get back so it was almost as if like he was trying to film more pages it's not bad the book's not bad but i definitely think it was almost like the first draft and the novel was the, i mean the screenplay was the final production i think it also shows that like puzio was allowed to like remake it like all this stuff there's so many facts i go into and just like the godfather movies just absolutely amazing if you read the script if you've seen the movie you know you know it's a great movie so yeah i do think the movie's better i'm not saying she read the book it just wasn't wasn't for me i think primarily because i've also seen the movie so much and again the pacing was really off in the book but yeah i would still, if you like the mob genre i would still check it out it's, it's pretty good but anyway we only have one episode left guys of season season two on wednesday we're going to be talking with a author whose name is fran and they are absolutely amazing i can't wait to share the conversation i had with them i loved talking with them and i think you guys will love hearing about the book and to learn about them it's gonna be fantastic and then on that same day we're also releasing the season two finale and we're doing superlatives so like those high school superlatives like best dress is that we're gonna pair them up with the book a fun little way to send off season two i'm already starting to work on season three starting to get through some of those books if you have any recommendations that you want please let me know i would love to hear them love to have someone on if you want to be a guest just let me know and thank you for all the support. And as always, this is Mini Notes from the Library. <laughs>